And somebody said, why did you tell us your name? We know who you are. And I appreciate that greatly, but there's actually a reason I say my name, because if you've been around Grace for a long time, you know all the stories. You know the history, and you know the search, and you know how my family and I have moved here, and you know that, and we're thankful that you know that. We're thankful that you see us, and you care for us. But if it's your first time here, you have no idea who this bald tattoo guy is. And so we want to be mindful. If it's your first time, hey, welcome. We're so thankful that you're here. Um, Names are important. That's a way to introduce people to who we are at Grace. I say, I say my name. Something as simple as that, right? My name is Will Vakurvich. My actual name is William Robert Vakurvich III. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. That's how I feel also. And when I was in first grade, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Willingham, would make us write our whole name on every assignment that we had. So, like, literally, some of my friends were done when I'm still like writing my name. So I decided I would never pass that on. My grandfather was William Robert Vakurvich, my dad, I'm the third, but now I have a fourth. And, and it's interesting as, <clears throat> you know, uh, when we found out Erin was pregnant and we start this conversation of names, what do we name our kid? And all of these names start coming to mind. And I had this, I don't know if I'm the only one in this, but all of these weird thoughts of like, no, we can't name him that because I played football with a guy who had the same name and he was horrible. So like, <laughs> I don't want my son named that name or, or, or whatever. Um, my wife loved the name Dante, which is a great name, but Dante Vakurvich. But here's the problem. Like what sounds good with Vakurvich? But names are important. Uh, I learned, I think when I was a teenager, that my name means guardian protector. And it's interesting because my grandfather, the, the first, well, he was a sheriff. He was a guardian protector. And my dad was in construction. He built houses that guarded and protected people. And I've worked in helping ministries, helping to guard and, and protect people. And who knows what my son will do with this name, but we have hope. We named, we named our second Micah, Micah George. Micah, because we love the book of Micah, we love how Micah deals with issues of justice and God, call, calls God's people to be a just people. And George, because uh, our first was named after my dad and, and Aaron's dad's name is George, so we included that. So we have uh, Will and Micah. That's how we got our names. Our names are important. And so this morning, we're going to look at a, a character in Scripture, a woman named Hagar, who is the first person who names God in all of Scripture. We're kicking off this series called The Prayers of God's People, and, and we're going to look at different ways that God's people have prayed throughout Scripture and see what we can learn about who God is and what his people are like through the ways that we talk to God, and God responds to us. And so that's where we're going to land today. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 16 at the story of Hagar, a fascinating woman. We'll start in Genesis 16 chapter 1, and if you're using a Bible that you found underneath your chair, that's going to be on page 11, right there towards the beginning. We read this, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. 
And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord's judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So we meet three characters. We meet Abram, who will later be named Abraham. We meet Sarai, who will later be named Sarah. And we meet Hagar. What do we know about Hagar? We learn here that Hagar is uh, a slave, a servant of this couple, that she's Egyptian, she's an African woman, uh, and she's not actually given a voice, at least in this part of the story. We know, we learn from, from scholars and theologians that her name can mean dragged away or sent away. Uh, Guatemalan theologian Karen Gonzalez translates her name from the Hebrew as foreign thing. It's interesting, an object from somewhere else. So we find Hagar in Abram and Sarai's house, serving in some capacity. We're not entirely sure exactly what her role was. But I wonder what stories she heard. Your family has stories. My family has stories. Every family has stories that we tell over and over, these defining moment stories of what makes our family unique. That funny moment, that embarrassing thing, that horrible trip that somehow turned good. We all have family stories. And I can't help but wonder how many times Hagar heard some stories from Abram. Heard the story from Genesis 12 when God appeared to Abram. And he entered into a covenant with him, and he said, Abram, I'm giving you a job. I'm going to bless you so that all nations, all families on earth can be blessed. The Egyptian slave heard the story about how Abram would steward his blessings to bless all families, all nations, all ethnicities. I wonder how often that story was celebrated, and I wonder how that sounded to the Egyptian ears of the servant girl. I wonder if she was within earshot as she heard Abram and Sarai discuss their plans for her. God had made a promise. Sarai was excited for this promise to be fulfilled. But I know, like me, so often it's hard to be patient. We know God has spoken things. We know that God makes promises. We know that God is faithful and good. But in the in-between time, in the waiting, sometimes we take matters into our own hands. And in this instance, I wonder if Hagar overheard Sarai taking matters into her own hands. I wonder what that felt like. I wonder if she felt seen and heard in that moment. I wonder what it was like to watch passive Abram respond, she's your servant, do with her what you want. I wonder what it was like when she was handed over. We're mindful that there's children here, so we're selective with how we're describing this incident. But it doesn't appear as though there's any consent. 
We meet Hagar, who's taken from Egypt, who's entered into servitude for this family, who's called to be a blessing to the nations. This family who God will multiply through his hand. And she's forced into this position. We learn that once Hagar conceives, there's a shift in the relationship with Sarai. Doesn't feel like that relationship started out on a great foot to begin with, but there's a shift. Sarai perceives something different in her relationship with Hagar, and she doesn't like it. Now, this was Sarai's plan, right? She's the one who, who formulated this plan, and it went according to what she desired, but now she sees that Hagar is pre pregnant, and their relationship shifts. She complains to Abram. She has these complaints that can be translated in different ways, but she perceives some slight, some disrespect, something out of the cultural norm, and so she mistreats Hagar. Now, this word that's used to describe how she mistreats Hagar will be used in the next book of the Bible, in Exodus, to describe how Pharaoh enslaves and oppresses God's people in Egypt. The same word for oppressed is used in that scenario. So that gives you a glimpse. If you're familiar with this Exodus story, with the slavery that God's people are forced into, this is the same language being used to describe how Sarai is mistreating or oppressing or abusing Hagar. She's desperate. She's not being treated properly. She's not being given a voice. She feels unseen and unheard, so she leaves. She flees, and we see that she's fleeing on this road back to shore, which is the path that she would take to return to Egypt. So the implication is she's trying to run home. She's desperate. She's pregnant. She's fearful for the life of her unborn child still in her womb, and so she runs into the wilderness. Think about this. At least there's a level of provision with Abram and Sarai. She feels like her best shot is to run a pregnant woman in the midst of the desert. We came from the desert in Arizona. I don't want to run in the desert. There would have to be a pretty compelling reason for me to go running in the desert. I'm not that guy. But for Hagar, at this point in her life, this feels like the best option on the table. So she runs, desperate, hopeful to find some rest, some provision, some safety, some protection, something to get her out of the miserable circumstance in which she finds herself, out of this family who was blessed to be a blessing to all nations. She's running in terror. We pick up in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. What we notice here is she is running. It doesn't say she's praying. It doesn't say she's seeking the Lord. It doesn't say she's reached the end of her rope and she's hit rock bottom and she cries out in desperation. This woman is running. And God shows up. She's fleeing for her life and the angel of the Lord appears to her. I wonder if sometimes God hears the prayers we don't even know we should be praying. I wonder if God in his love and kindness and graciousness responds in ways that we don't even expect, that we don't even know we should be asking for, that we can't even conceive of or imagine. I wonder how her experience with Abram and Sarai shaped her view of their God. I wonder what hermeneutic that communicated to her. Because we see the inverse of what they have done. They have brought her into danger. God is protecting her. They have treated her as a foreign thing. They have literally objectified her. And God sees her. God hears her. God is present with her. When Abram and Sarai don't even speak to her, God is the first person in this story that we see communicate with her. And think about what she names God. She doesn't name God as a God of protection, though he provides protection for her. She doesn't name God as, as a God of blessing or of multiplication, though God blesses her with a child. She doesn't name God as the one who guides and directs her steps, though God tells her where she should go. She names God as the one who sees her. The God who sees her in the wilderness, in her fleeing, in her fear, in her desperation. God sees her when she doesn't even realize she should be looking for God. When's the last time you felt seen? Like truly seen? Truly listened to? Another image bearer fully aware of your presence in the moment with you. There's a fascinating art exhibit. In 2010, it was in New York uh, at the MoMA there, and the, the artist's name, I don't want to mess it up, the artist's name is Marina Abramovic. Uh, she's also from Yugoslavia, so that's why we have weird names. And, and so she did this, this art exhibit uh, that I heard about a few years ago, and I've just, I, it stuck with me. It's so fascinating to me. It's called The Artist is Present. So we have a picture of, of what this art exhibit was. And so there's, there's 
Marina, the artist in the red dress, and people would line up for hours, and she would stare in their eyes. That's the end of the story. (laughs) She didn't do anything. You, You know, she wasn't painting. She wasn't dancing. She wasn't sculpting. She was looking at people. And she would not look away. Just make eye contact and hold a gaze. And so we have a a few pictures of some of the responses of people. By far the most common response was that people were moved to tears. For some people, only within a few moments. For some, it took closer to an hour or even over an hour. They would sit with the artist. The artist is present, and they would be seen, and it would move them to tears. There is something about truly being seen and known that moves us. Now we have Hagar, the Egyptian slave, pregnant without her consent, who encounters the God who sees. As powerful as it is to have an artist see you, imagine the artist who paints the sunsets and the, and the sunrises every morning, the one who sets the shooting stars into motion, the one who brings wave after wave upon our beaches, this artist seeing her, seeing you, seeing me, not just in the mountaintop moments, not just, uh, you know, up in Malibu at the Psalm Retreat when we're singing and we feel so connected to God, but God seeing us in our desperation, in our wilderness, when we don't even know we should be looking for him, God is still seeing. God is still listening. And I wonder if that's what we need to hear this morning. That God sees you. I think about the different things that could mean. I think about the times I say that to my boys. There are the times that I'm like, hey, I see you. You know what that, parents, you know what that means. Freeze immediately and stop what you're doing. I wonder if any of us need God to say that. I see you. The sin you have tried to cover up, I see you. The ways you've tried to manipulate, I see you. Whatever you think you can run from, whatever you think you can turn the volume down with this continued addiction, whatever you think you'll never get found out about, I wonder if we need to hear God say, I see you. Now, thankfully, the the sentence doesn't end there. There are other ways that God communicates he sees us. God is a gracious God. He's a kind God. He's a God who brings godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. He's not just the angry dad saying, I see you get down, but I see you come here. The God who welcomes us with open arms, the God who says, I see you the one who created us, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, who knows every hair on our head or lack of hair on our head, that God still sees us. He knows us. 
He longs for us. He pursues us even when we don't know to look for him. He hears us even when we don't know to pray. This is the God who looks at us and says, I see you. This morning in Long Beach, in 2022, the same God who saw Hagar sees you. The same God who listened to the prayers she didn't know how to pray is the same God who hears the prayers that you don't know how to pray. The Spirit groans when we don't have the words on our behalf. This God sees you, you who barely made it here this morning. You who don't even know what you believe because, like Hagar, you've seen how God's people have treated you, and you're not sure what you think about God. God sees you. God knows how hard it was to show up. He's here. He knows you. He's listening. God sees you who have been faithful, who have stuck together through all the craziness of the last few years. God sees you who are tired and just want to break. He says, come to me, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. God sees you. God doesn't just see us when we get in trouble. Yes, he sees that. But God sees more than that. He sees us and he's present with us. And so, church, I've realized this may be a unique place to start a sermon series on the prayers of God's people because what we realize in this story is Hagar's not actually in, like, God's covenant community, and she doesn't even actually pray to God. So why would we start prayers of God's people with somebody who's not in God's people and doesn't pray to God? Because if that's how he treats her, how much more for his children? How much more for those that he sent his son to die for? How much more for those who have been purchased with the precious blood of his son? How much more for those who have been filled with his very spirit? Church, God sees us. He hears us. He hears those cries that we cry when no one else is around. He hears those prayers that we pray in desperation in the moment. He hears that worship of faithfulness and obedience. Well done, my good and faithful servant. God sees us. He sees you. And he hears you. And God knows that we need reminders of this. So God tells us to meet together, to remind one another to sing together about the goodness of the God who sees, to pray for one another, to pray on behalf of one another, because you know sometimes we don't have the words and we need that brother or sister to just shoot us the text praying for you. Simple as that. He gives us a meal as a reminder, which we'll be participating in in a few moments. Not only does God see us and hear us, but God came in the flesh on our behalf. God lived the life that we couldn't live, knowing we couldn't live us. He sent his son to live that life of perfection, of sinlessness, of seeing the marginalized, of seeing the lost, of listening to their cries of concern and pain and prayer, listening to the parents who brought their children to Jesus out of desperation. No one else could help. God saw and heard the woman who had gone to every medical doctor and could not receive healing, and she touched the hem of his garment, and he healed her. 
This God who sees and hears took off his outer robes and knelt down and washed the dirty, grimy feet of his disciples who would run away and abandon him in his moment of need in just a few hours. This is the God that we remember when we take, participate in the bread and the cup. The very flesh and the very blood given for us. A reminder today the same reminder that Hagar needed and named so many years ago, that there is a God who sees us and who hears us, who makes himself made known to us in our wilderness, in our desperation, despite our circumstances, despite whether we're in the in-crew or the out-crew, whether we're privileged or not privileged, whatever our status, whatever our ethnicity, whatever, God sees you and he knows you. And he invites us to remember him at the table. And so in a few moments, we'll continue our worship by celebrating communion. We're going to release everyone by rose to come up and receive the bread and the cup. Some reminders that are important. The wine is going to be in the clear cups. The juice will be in purple cups. After everyone has received and returned to their seats, we'll, we'll make sure everyone has received so that we can partake together. Uh, this is the Lord's table, the God who sees and who knows. And so it's okay if you're not a member of this church. If you know Jesus, you are welcome at this table. We are so thankful that you're here. Uh, at this time, we'll invite the greeters and ushers to come up to help us with this. And as they're coming up, let me pray for us, church. Father, you see us, and we thank you for that. You see us when we need to be caught. You see us when we need to be held. You see us when we need to be reminded of our identity. Lord, you see us in our weakness. You see us in our exhaustion. You see us in our doubt and in our belief. And we thank you that you see us. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you are with us in real ways. As real as you appeared to Hagar, you are here with us in this space. And we thank you for that truth. Lord, remind us of that when we forget. Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you've showed up. We thank you for the ways you will show up. We love you. Help us to love you more. We pray this in your name. Amen.